With so many cultural pressures facing girls and teens today, anxiety is on an uptick. In her practice as a Christian counselor, Sissy Goff has been witness to some alarming trends. Now this morning, we are going to be revisiting a conversation with this author of books like Brave, A Teen Girl's Guide to Beating Worry and Anxiety and Raising Worry-Free Girls. Sissy, welcome to the morning conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we are thrilled. <laughs> so as we kind of dive in, first of all, I guess let's let our My Rich family get to know you a little bit. First, as a sister in Christ, before we kind of get into kind of the ministry that God has you involved with. Well, I actually, it was at a summer camp is oh, how wow. I came to know love and that. love Jesus. I did not grow up in a home where we talked about faith very much. Mm. My parents, I think they had no idea that they sent me to <laughs> a very charismatic Christian camp. <laughs> and I loved it. And and I still, I mean, I you know how I have a very visual memory. I don't know if you do, but I remember where I was walking. I was going into seventh grade as I realized Jesus loves me this much in spite mm. of who I am. Mm. I don't even know what to do with this. And that just kind of became central to my life. He huh. did at that point. And I grew up in a little bit of a way rebelling because I was pursuing my faith as hard uh, as I was wow, yeah. um, in my house. Good kind my of parents rebellion. came around a lot and shifted their perspective. But yes, yes, good kind of rebellion. So that's where it began. And I just have been clinging hard to him ever since. Huh. That's so good. Yeah. We've got a number of uh, Christian camps here in Nebraska that we know and love their ministry, love their directors, uh, things that God's doing uh, in and through them. So, you know, some people think what can happen in one camp experience? Like, oh, it takes oh, out of wow. yeah, exactly a life can be transformed you know eternal destinies can, can be, be shifted yes 100 percent. absolutely so sissy um you've been involved in this whole counseling world for quite some time yes what was the thing that god kind of used to say this is what i have for you you know in some ways i probably became what i wish i'd had in my life mm. and i had a lot of really amazing mentors and people who taught me a lot about faith and jesus and grace and hope and somehow missed the emotional component of it. Mm. Stepped in with the spiritual in some great ways, but I was the kind of kid who smiled all the time and you would have met me and thought everything was great. Yep. And those really kind folks kind of fell along with that. Mm. And I think I always wish somebody would have said, Sissy, no one smiles all the time. Mm. <laughs> There's got to be more going on inside of you than what you're saying out loud. And as kind and intentional as they were, I just didn't have that. Mm. And so I think when I realized and really I started pursuing psychology and counseling in 93. I'd never been in counseling myself. The only psychologist <laughs> I'd had much experience was was on this silly soap opera that I watched <laughs> in high school. Literally, that was the only one I'd heard of. So it was all a very new field to me. But, but just that sense of there's got to be somebody that can bring the hope of Christ mm. in a way that not just touches what I'm hungry for spiritually, but hope that infiltrates the deeper parts of who I am. Hmm. It is an automatic necessarily that counseling and Christian can go together, right? So, sociology, psychology, right. and ministry. So you've kind of woven them together. God's woven them together in his pathway for your life. So how, how did you navigate being able to really bring the faith component into what you felt called into? I read a book when I was 20 years old called Inside Out by Dr. Larry yes. Crabb. And he talked about how we were made for so much more than we're experiencing today. Mm -hmm. 
and how there is this hunger inside of us that is there because we live in a fallen world and that that we can feel that hunger deeply rather than just dismiss it and can experience some healing this side of heaven, but knowing that ultimately we're never going to fully have that thirst quenched. I think that just opened my eyes in this way that it did feel like there could be a marriage of talking about our brokenness. I mean, he talked a lot about dignity and depravity Hmm. and that it's both things and that it's my pain is a result of living in a fallen world. It's also my sin. It's very much both of those things and that I can experience forgiveness and I can experience, like we said, some healing this side of heaven. And ultimately, once I get there, just transformed so much of my perspective and made me want to move more into that field. You're on the front line, Sissy, in lots of ways and uh, at all times, but uh, men's Specifically, I mean, in terms of the reality of the season that we're in as a world, really, and definitely as a country, you know, coming off of the 2020, 2021, I mean, pretty unprecedented time in our history. And uh, we all have kind of taken a hit for that. So you're in that counseling space. I guess I would love to kind of hear what have you seen? Have you kind of assessed the kind of aftermath, not that we're through everything yet, but kind of the aftermath of the intensity of the situation that we've kind of walked through as a country? What are some things that you're seeing? Well, you know, it's interesting because I feel like God really, you know, that the story of being for such a time as this, I feel like that is so much of where he has had me in the last couple of years, because I wish I remembered my years better (laughs) in probably 2018, 2017. Yes, I think uh, Melissa Trevathan, who I mentioned before, and David Thomas, who's another dear friend and coworker, and I wrote a book called Are My Kids on Track? And we talked about the four emotional and four social and four spiritual milestones we felt like all kids need to reach. And we're reaching to a lesser degree than ever before. And mm. and after we wrote that book and it had been out for a little bit, my editor came to me and said, Sissy, you talked about anxiety and girls in this one paragraph in the book. And you talked about how girls were leading the statistics and you talked about how eight was the average age of onset of anxiety. Would you write a book for eight-year-old girls about anxiety? And being the therapist that I am, I said, yes, but only if I can write one for parents too, because Mm -hmm. we've got to treat the whole family. And so in 2019, I had a book come out called Raising Worry-Free Girls for Parents and one for elementary age girls called Braver, Stronger, Smarter, not knowing at that point Mm -hmm. that we were about to hit this pandemic. And when we wrote Are My Kids on Track, the statistics were one in eight kids were dealing with anxiety. We had jumped to right before the pandemic, one in four. Wow. Post pandemic or wherever we are, we're now one in three. Wow. And so that is one of the effects that I've seen that those numbers of anxiety, and I'm watching it every day in my counseling office, it just keeps rising exponentially. And then that anxiety has really trickled over into depression too. And we're seeing both in greater amounts than I have ever seen in the lives of kids. And so I love that we're having this conversation today because it feels like it's never been as important to help equip kids to deal with these things as it is now. So, Sissy, as we think about you, you brought up the book that, you, that you've written in 2019 that was perfect timing in the sovereignty of God, right? Raising mm, worry-free right. girls. Why girls? <laughs> Do guys not worry or like why that <laughs> distinction? Guys, boys, and men yeah. definitely worry, <laughs> but girls are twice as likely as mm. boys to deal with anxiety. And the interesting thing is boys are taken in to get help more often than girls. And often that's really because girls and boys, but 
but I think sp- specifically girls who are anxious have a few things in common. They're very bright. They're conscientious. They try hard. They care really deeply. And they're the kind of kids that you would go to a parent t- teacher conference about your daughter. And the teacher would say, I wish every girl in my classroom acted like your daughter. And then all of a sudden, they're the model child, and we're not realizing that there's a lot of anxiety driving that behavior, rather than just who she wants to be. And so we miss it oftentimes with girls, whereas boys will act out a little bit more and get a little more explosive every once in a while Mm. when they're anxious. And so that's really why I wanted to speak to parents of girls. But the book, my coworker, David, would say everything that we talk about in that book, we also can talk about with boys. And it's the same tools that are in both genders. You know, Sissy, as parents, we we all try to do good things by our kids. Like we we try to set them up for success and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes we do things that actually hurt. They more uh, accentuate the problem some. So what are some things that you would say, parents, like we can tend to do this and that actually is counterproductive. What would be some counterproductive things that you kind of tend to see parents do? Well, the two most common parenting strategies in light of anxiety are escape and avoidance. Mm. So, and of course, as a parent, you love your kids. You don't want them to be in distress. And so your kids get in some kind of situation and they feel like they can't handle, you think maybe they can't. So natural to want to pull them out. But in all this research I did to write these books, the definition of anxiety I came up with is anxiety is an overestimation of the problem and an underestimation of themselves. Hmm. And so when a child gets into a situation that they feel nervous about and we pull them out, we're basically affirming that definition. Yep, it's too big. You're too small. You can't do it. So I'm going to have to step in. Hmm. And... Every counselor, every psychologist, every psychiatrist out there would say for kids to work through their fear, for us to work through our fear, we have to do the scary thing. And so we want to help them gradually do that. We don't just throw them in the deep end. We're going to work our way towards it. But they've got to do the scary thing to work through their fear and anxiety. Sissy, let's say I've got a girl in in my home. If I'm listening uh, to this conversation, how do I know if it's getting to a point of concern where I need to like really pay attention because things may be getting out of hand as far as their worry and anxiety? Well, that's honestly why I wrote the book. I kind of jokingly talk in the introduction about how I wrote it to work people like me out of a job because the main type of therapy that we would do with someone with anxiety is called cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's these really practical things that you can do at home. And then if it feels like they're not working and you're not moving the needle at all, then at that point, I think it would be time to maybe step in and pursue counseling for your kids. But the beginning of it is even understanding what's going on, because for some kids, anxiety is going to look like very compliant behavior, even fearfulness about stepping out of compliance Mm. and doing something wrong. And for some kids, it's going to look more explosive. And so we want to pay attention to what's driving their behavior so that we can step in and help when the need arises. So there's that normal level that's there. When do we know that it's like, okay, I need to pay attention, warning signs, you know, lights are kind of going off. Like, what are those lights that we need to pay attention for? Well, a couple of things that I would say. One is anger that feels much bigger than the situation warranted and that we're paying attention to when the anger is occurring. So those of us in my field would always say that anger is a secondary emotion. So Mm -hmm. for any of us, kids included, if we're angry, something's underneath it. And so when parents come in and say, my child's really explosive, they're manipulative, I'll say, tell me when that's occurring. And all 
often it is times of unpredictability or transition. And so if it feels like when you change the schedule at the last minute on your child and they explode in those moments or they dissolve into tears, I would suggest to parents to start trying to document when they can tell that explosiveness is happening. And if it feels like those times, I think it might be time to pursue getting some help. That would be one. Another would be kids with recurring physical issues, especially this time of year as school starting back, recurring headaches, tummy aches, pay attention to that. And then the third primary way I recognize it in kids is kind of the we talk about it like the one loop roller coaster at the fair that kids who are anxious get stuck on something. So a schedule, for example, or you're going out and and, and they're saying, tell me when, where you're going. When are you going to be back? Who's taking care of me? What are you going to be doing when you're gone? Anytime kids seem to be stuck like that, I think that's a signal there's more going on too. So see, how, how are things you've, you've, again, you've been in counseling for a number of decades. Besides the obvious of the pandemic, that kind of reality, what, what are other differences that are in our culture today that to really make growing up now a lot more challenging. Well, we could definitely spend a lot of time talking about technology. Mm -hmm. That is certainly one of them. And I think that is contributing to the problem in mental health with kids Mm -hmm. in a whole lot of ways. And I would probably drill down for a minute to TikTok in general. Mm -hmm. TikTok is one of the places I'm most concerned about kids because particularly in my work with adolescent girls, it has become the source for them on information about mental health, which is profoundly concerning to me. I had a girl who was 13 who told me that she created an account to help people understand about mental health, a 13-year-old girl. (laughs) I mean, I'm not sure where she thinks she kind of figured out how to be the authority on mental health, but she was very committed to the fact that she was. Hmm. And, you know, even that, but there are studies out right now, and I'm seeing evidence of it in my office, that there are things like there are influencers on TikTok who have what's called tick disorder, where if I were to have these involuntary movements or make these noises, it might be that I have tick disorder. And there are influencers showing signs of ticks on TikTok, which that sounds so silly, but that's mm. what's happening. And tick disorder is a psychogenic illness. And so if I'm watching you and you have tick disorder and I'm watching you show these tick behaviors, I'm going to start to do them myself. And so we're seeing kids who are developing tick disorders because they're watching TikTok influencers. So So it's just I think that is making it more of a challenge to help kids from a mental health perspective than it has been ever before. Yeah. I, you know, I had a friend that I had a conversation with a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, maybe daughter was just struggling. They're small town, pretty guarded, Christian home, solid Christian, solid church experience. But she was massively struggling with depression. And I asked my daughter, who's in the somewhat of the counseling field, she does art therapy. I said, where would this? have come from like and she said she instantly said social media Mm. and i said wow and so i i actually asked my friend i said Hey, is your daughter, you know, on social media? She goes, oh yeah, way too much. So it just really lines up with what you're saying. It's a tough world for them to function in the midst of. And at the same time, it is so much of how they interact with others. And so we've got to be so thoughtful in when and how much and all those things we're letting them have access to it. So Sissy, I guess I'd love for you to kind of speak to us as parents in terms of our own emotional, mental state, because uh, obviously, and you, you talked about earlier this morning that when you were going to write your book on the anxiety and, uh, and worry and, and gals, that you said, I've got to write something for parents too, because it all kind of interfaces. So I guess I'd love to hear about that dynamic a little bit of like, okay, parents, you're looking at your kids, but 
you got to look at yourself first. Oh, yes. I'm so glad for you to say that. And yes, I feel concerned enough about it that that is my next book. It's okay. called The Worry-Free Parent, and it's wanting to go to the source. That's my concern because as a parent, if you have anxiety, your kids are seven times more likely to deal with it themselves. Mm. And I met with a couple not too wow. long ago. And this couple, they have an eight-year-old girl who's anxious. And the dad is the CEO of his company. And he said, you know, I was at a training session not long ago and they were talking to us as CEOs. And they said, your job as the boss is to be the calmest person in the room. He said, I can't help but think as a parent that my job is to be the calmest person in the room hmm. and my kids will never get there if I'm not there myself. Isn't that brilliant? Oh, it is. And it's, you know, again, pandemic, all the upset that has been a part of our culture for the last couple of years. I think as adults, we have never probably collectively been on a roller coaster more than all of us have because there's just been so much for all of us. And so, you know, I think for us to do our own work, deal with our own worry and anxiety is really one of the greatest gifts we can give the kids we love and one of the best things to help them figure out how to work through their own. That statistic you gave at the beginning of this is yes. pretty sobering. So you said seven times. So kids who are in homes with parents who struggle with worry are seven times more likely to struggle themselves. Yes. One of the questions I've, I'd like to ask people again, on the back end, again, we keep, you and I keep talking about, okay, are we at the back end of this or are we not at the back end of this whole pandemic right, reality, right. right? So what's something that um, as you walked through that personally, what are some things that uh, God kind of, maybe, maybe the one biggest takeaway just from your processing through the pandemic and even the race riot stuff and all the chaos in our culture, mm -hmm. uh, what's something that God kind of did in you to kind of help you navigate that well? You know, I think there has been collectively, but I sure felt it along the way, a sense of helplessness with the pandemic, with kids, with the race riots, I mean, with all the things. And it is easy for any of us to feel helpless in that and to feel paralyzed by that. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know that what I'm going to, anything I could do matters. And through all of it, I mean, I had written, you know, this book for parents, this book for kids. And then all of a sudden I was Zooming with adolescents for counseling because none of us could get together in person at the beginning of the pandemic. And that became the population I was most worried about. And I had all this time on my hands. And so I ended up writing a book for adolescents called Brave in the beginning to help these teenagers. And I think that was probably the beginning of me trusting God that he really could use my voice, stepping into places that I would have never felt confident stepping in and trusting, even if it's one person that I can make a difference for, I need to do it. And so I think there's this interesting thing of when we're feeling sorrow and we're feeling helplessness, that sense of purpose and following the promptings of God does healing in our own heart. It's so good for all of us. And so I feel like I got to, I mean, it, God was so gracious to me and that I have had the benefit of being able to step in and have a voice and help people in ways that I don't think I ever would have felt like I could and reached people. And, you know, that's one of the wonderful things about interviews and podcasts and social media and all of that. We can talk about all the corrupt things it's done for our world, but that's one of the best mm. is I think we can help people. And so I, I think even in my counseling, that feels like something I want to continue to encourage people towards when they feel helpless and paralyzed and, and feel like I don't have any control in this 
situation to know that God always can use us and that we can always step out in faith and give to somebody else. And we're going to make more of a difference than we have any idea. So, Sissy, give us a kind of coaching session here real quick on on the best maybe way to utilize that resource of raising worry-free girls. I think you had a complimentary companion thing for parents, right? So how do we use those resources? Well, I so the, the elementary age girls book is called Braver, Stronger, Smarter. Brave is the teenage girls book and Raising Worry-Free Girls is the book for parents. And I did them neck and neck chapter was so that a parent could be reading alongside their daughter mm. and they would be getting the same information and could create more conversations. Nice. And then on social media this summer on my Instagram account, I created a book study for those books mm. with the hopes that parents would hop on and there's a video kids can watch with their parents and questions. And you can, you know, even though something came out a month ago, you can still go back and do it, thankfully, on social media. Mm. But that you don't even have to do that. You can just read the books together, but there's questions to create conversation because I think when we're learning something together, it's going to create more unity and accountability. We're going to be able to help each other along the way. And so that was really my intention Hmm. in those tools being a resource that folks could use together as families. And, And even... I have parents that are getting small groups of kids together, elementary age kids. I have youth groups that their whole youth group is going through Brave as girls groups together. I mean, anytime things like that, we can pull in other kids' voices. I think Mm, that helps too. Well, Sissy, this has been an incredible morning. You have given us a lot of solid, very helpful information this morning. Thanks so much for spending the morning with us today. I'm so grateful to be a part of it today.